Hey, y'all, thanks for tuning in to the Weird One Podcast. This space, it's a collection of talks ranging anywhere from sermons from our ministry, creative thoughts, breakout sessions at things like Weird One Conference, as well as some inside scoops on leadership. We hope it helps you. If you want to keep up to date with everything Weird One, you can go to weareoneyouth.com or follow us on social at WAO Youth. We hope you're blessed. We're going to preach... Uh uh, I'm going to preach from the book of Esther. It's going to be fun. Uh, but ladies, I am so sorry. The, one, of the, one of the few uh, parts of Scripture that exclusively focuses on the dynamic ability for God to use a woman of God. One of the few Scriptures that really just points out not only uh, the divine uh, calling that God can place on a woman's life to influence for the kingdom, but also her opportunity to, to walk in, in a royal calling. And, 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 and to my knowledge, other than Song of Solomon, which is more of a Pastor Tyler and Jillian verse for right now, um, it's one of the only uh, uh, parts in Scripture that talks about the necessity of a woman pampering herself. Got to get an amen, ladies. It talks about uh, how Esther... She, she went through skin treatments and multiple dresses, and they tailor for it. It's just, just amazing. But I'm not preaching about her. I'm preaching about a dude in the story about a woman. Is that okay? Are you guys mad at me? Do you hate me? Do you hate me? Are you mad? Are you mad? Hey, I have two daughters, okay? I have three sisters. I was raised by my mom. I've done my part for the women in the world, okay? And uh, I, I'm, we're going to be focusing on a character in, the, in, in this story named Mordecai. And Mordecai is a family member of Esther. This takes place in the children of Israel's exile. Um, and this was a, a, a several hundred year span where due to their disobedience, um, God put them in timeout times a million. And their, their cities got pillaged. They, they lost everything um, despite God giving them time after time after time after time of opportunity uh, to repent, he, 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 he sent and he used um, the, these empires, the, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, even the Philistines, Goliath folks, and, and he sent them, he scattered them to the, to the corners of the earth. And, and we find ourselves in the midst of, of oppression and exile and, and, and scary times. And you should really study the book of Esther, um, if for no other reason than it's different than the book of Acts. Um, and uh, just get a little... <laughs> And, um, man, this is so cool. You know, in, the, in the, the Hebrew youth, they would have to memorize the Torah. And I think y'all are pretty well close to memorizing all of Acts. I'm proud of you guys. Give yourselves a round of applause. Hey, if you're new or you missed up, make sure to check out the, the YouTube. There's been so many sermons, uh, 19, I think, to be exact. Um, and that doesn't count the Acts tensions. Does, it does. Okay, okay, hang on. But there's lots of content for you to dive into one of my favorite books of the Bible. Um, and what's interesting is that you can look at the Bible from the book of Esther to the book of Acts. And good news, bad news is God's always there, but so is the oppression, so is the pressure, so is the struggle. And so if you're new to reading the Bible, it can, if you're glancing over it, you're like, things never really get that good. I don't really understand. And really, the, the dark situations in the text are really just an opportunity to highlight and contrast the great strength of our God. And the Bible is less about pointing out the heroism of a, of a man named Mordecai or a woman named Esther or a king named David or, or 12 guys um, who, who, who quit their jobs to follow Jesus. It's, it's really about magnifying uh, Yahweh, Jehovah, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Alpha and the Omega. It's to make, make, make much of the God that despite culture changing, uh, he's never changed. And, and the, the, the people of God have really been through a lot. 
and, and, and by the time you're in Acts, they're basically oppressed and conquer, uh, conquered by Rome. Um, and, and here in Esther, they're, they're in a similar situation. And uh, Mordecai um, is, is essentially Esther's, like, uncle. And her parents die. Everyone say, oh, for Esther. And, and he, he steps in, and, and, and he helps uh, take care of her. And uh, honestly, there's not a, a ton of spectacular things said um, about Mordecai. He just kind of seems to be just like a, a good, solid dude. In, in fact, um, this text points out more of his actions than, than more of his words. So shout out to all the people who don't talk too much. Um, you know, we really need you in church because for those of us who, who talk, me and Luke up here, like, like y'all don't even get a word in, but some, some of y'all need to know that God can do um, a lot with a few words and a lot of actions. Any quiet people happy? Yeah, I see you wouldn't make any sound. <laughs> That's the greatest. That's the greatest setup. You played yourselves. You played yourselves. Let me read. Uh, let me read um, a bit of of the text. I'm not going to tell the whole story, but I really want to point out um, a couple specific uh, uh, parts. In chapter three, um, Esther is on her way to becoming the queen. There's a lot of uh, palace intrigue. Oh, it's a coronation this week um, in England. I could care less, uh, but it just, it just dawned in my mind. I think some old guy named Charlie is, um, is getting uh, sworn in uh, to be the king of England, which means about nothing to me, for about a couple weeks before he passes away or something like that. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But if you're really into that sort of thing, um, maybe you can educate me. But it's kind of similar palace intrigue, and Esther's on her way to kind of filling a, a, a royal station in an exiled land, okay? So she, she necessarily didn't get to choose her husband, but out of obedience to God, she stepped into this opportunity for influence. Mordecai is kind of behind the scenes, um, helping orchestrate it, um, and really just caring for her. And so Mordecai really finds himself now cut off from the young girl that he raised, because she's now in the palace, and there's a lot of rules and, and, and walls and guards. And so what he tends to do is he sits kind of on the outside of the palace, just waiting to hear how she's doing, making sure she's okay. The king at the time didn't have the best reputation for keeping his wives alive. And so Mordecai is not just like going there to check them. Like, I hope they did her hair right. He's kind of like, I hope she's alive today. And so in chapter 3, we get introduced to um, another character. His name is Haman. So let me read this for you guys. Uh, Esther chapter 3. We'll read a couple of the verses, first six verses here. After these events, King Xerxes that was the king's name, honored Haman. So we don't know about him yet, but now we do. Son of Hamadatha, the Agite, elevating him and giving him a seat of honor higher than that of all the other nobles. All the royal officials at the king's gate knelt down and paid honor to Haman. But the king's gate is where Mordecai hangs out. So this is going to be interesting. For the king had commanded this concerning him, but Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor. Then the royal officials at the king's gate asked Mordecai, why do you disobey the king's command? Day after day they spoke to him, but he refused to comply. Therefore they told Haman about it to see whether Mordecai's behavior would be tolerated, for he had told them that he was a Jew. When Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor, he was enraged. Yet having learned who Mordecai's people were, he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai, Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all Mordecai's people, the Jews throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. So this escalated kind of quickly. Here we have Mordecai. We know that he's a Jew. We don't know quite what that means yet in the context of the story. Here we see Haman 
All we really know is that the king decided to honor him that day. Funny little tidbit is that the chapter right before, Mordecai saved the king's life. And right after he saves the king's life, some other guy gets honored. Anyone relate? And then we see that despite the king saying to honor Haman, we see Mordecai say, mm, not so much. Not really. No thanks. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm not going to beat around the bush here. This really messed with me. I was really conflicted with this because I'm like, is that nice? Is that honoring? Is he being disobedient? Any rule followers? Pastor Dave, keep your hand down, please. Any rule followers? Rule followers, raise your hand. and Follow my rules and raise your hand if you're a rule follower. I don't know if it's because I'm the youngest. Shout out, Pastor Luke. Or like, I, I, like, I, I, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know why, but I, my whole life, I've been a rule follower. I'm a rule follower and I'm an introvert, which surprises a lot of people. Most people think that I'm this daring, dashing pioneer because of the way that I post on social media. And then I'm an extrovert because I like to talk to people. Guys, I don't like to talk to you because I like to. I like to talk to you because Jesus told me to, okay? And I really do, see, I really do like you, but it's just I get exhausted quite quickly from human interaction. Um, but God's calling is greater than my preference. Can I get an amen? Quiet people, yeah. And, 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 and this story kind of messes with me because my mind instantly goes to, and who else did? The king said, you've got to honor Haman. And this, this also kind of messes with me because of another story in the Bible that's really important to me. I don't know if you guys understand the dynamic duo of mine and Pastor Dave's friendship. Uh, he's David and I'm Jonathan. Ring any bells? And, and as funny as that is, I can't even remember what caught us to remember that one day. But, but if you ask him, and he, he knows probably better than almost anyone on the planet other than my wife, I've had a lot of Saul's in my life. I think we all have. Saul in the Old Testament was kind of like King Xerxes. Is, is he was a king that, that, that really was oppressive. You know, in fact, um, before David was even 30, the, uh, Saul the king had tried to kill David 16 times. The king that was swore to protect David, the David that was called to support him, that God actually sent to, to help Saul, Saul was trying to kill. And in that relationship, you see David doing everything that he can not to kill Saul. <laughs> he goes out of his way. And not just to not kill him, but, but not to speak dishonorably of him. In fact, when Saul finally met his sad end, paving the way for David to walk into his anointed, rightful spot, the man that came and told David that Saul had been killed was a little bit too happy for David's taste. And David had him killed because even to the very end, David contended that Saul was the Lord's anointed. And you don't mess with whatever the Lord has set apart and anointed. Whether you don't like them, whether you didn't choose them as your leader, whether you didn't vote them in, whether, whether you didn't ask for them to be your parents, whether you didn't ask for them to be your pastors, you do not mess with the Lord's anointed. David's seen what happens when you mess with what God has set apart, and he doesn't want any of that. You know what David also knew is that he was also the Lord's anointed. He just wasn't the Lord's appointed yet. And so David understood that, that how he respects that throne and that crown, he is going to set the tenor for how he's going to be respected when he's in that throne and that crown. Some of you are ruining your own life. You're sabotaging your own future because you're... Uh, you're really mad at the person who is in the position that you want right now. And your disdain for them is actually 
destroying the position that you're going for. And so by the time that you actually get it, it's going to mean nothing because you made it seem so worthless. And I'm not just talking about like, y'all, I'm not talking about most of y'all aren't pastors and aren't going to be pastors. I'm talking about the fact that you're so mad that they're team captain and you're not. And instead of supporting them, you sit quietly on the bench and don't say a word. Because you think that if you just pout long enough, your coach is going to think that you're the one that should be leading the team. You know, you know who your coach is going to see? The one who doesn't need a title to lead. You know, you, 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 you know what your school needs? You know, it's so funny. I, I didn't plan on saying this, um, so this is a little ADHD rabbit trail. But, but um, uh, senior year, everyone was talking about getting in the National English Honor Society because it's good for college. I wasn't going to college anyway. So I was like, you know, and they were like, it's what the smart people do. And I was like, um, I'm smarter than all of you, okay? I have a 2.1 GPA, but I know that I'm smarter than all of you, okay? which is half true, okay? I was smarter than them about some things. And you know what, what's, what's so funny is um, I, I never, I, I, I didn't get into that. I wasn't in that. But at the end of the year, because of some stuff that I orchestrated at my school as a senior, they ended up making up an award, and they gave it to me. And let me tell you, I kept that plaque. I don't got trophies from sports, okay? So I kept that plaque, okay? It says, John Rush, Liberty High School, 2010 Inspiration Award, National Honor Society. So if you actually just focus less on trying to overthrow the person whose spot you wish you had or whose girl you wish you had, and you actually just honored them and were kind to them and, and, and just did your job and were a good person, guess what? The people who you feel like dishonored you, they're going to make up awards for you. That's not the sermon I came to preach. Because that's actually comfortable for me at this point. Because I have lived through so many seasons of honoring Saul. And I can't, I'm not going to sit up here and say I've learned that lesson. But, you know, I'm 30 now. I got two kids pay my taxes, I pay bills, I did some stuff, okay? There's a confidence that, I love y'all, but really does only come with age. I'm not saying it's the only type of confidence, but just when you look back and you're like, man, I've been walking with Jesus, okay? Like for a, for a minute, for a minute, minute. And, and, uh, but what's interesting is, is actually uh, areas of my strength can quickly turn into zones of my comfort. And so when I read this text about, about Haman and Mordecai, I'm just like, that is not the way to do it. That is not the way to do it. Mr. Mordecai, excuse me. I was like trying to like go back in time. I was like, like, like how do I, like, don't do that. That's mean. You guys ever like tell Bible characters what to do and then realize they're in the Bible for a reason and you're trying to change? Okay, I'm the only one. I'm like, stop it. And, and I, was, I was wrestling with this and, <clears throat> and I was also trying to, I was praying, God, what do you want me to preach? What do you want me to bring to, the, to this family? And, 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 and the Holy Spirit spoke to me, um, and, and he just gently, he just told me, he's like, hey. I'm like, yeah. He's like, Haman's not Saul. I'm like, I know. He's like, no, what I mean is, Haman's not the king. And I'm like, okay. And then the Holy Spirit asked me this question. He says, how come you have a habit of upgrading your enemies and downgrading your calling? He says, how, how, come, how, how come it's innate for you to take an obstacle or an enemy and, 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 and inflate them and lower yourself? And then I had to like, that's a deep question from God. And then what I realized is I have at times subscribed to a theology, a mode of belief, a way of living and operating that I think that God gets bigger when I get smaller. As if he already wasn't God. I think that when I make myself feel worse, it makes God feel better. 
I think that shrinking my gifts gives God glory. I don't want to get in the way, sir. Excuse me, God. And, and what's very interesting, and you'll notice this, is most attempts to sabotage yourself are actually rooted in self-centeredness. I made myself the center of the universe as if alpha and omega is at all diminished by anything that I do. He fills up all space, matter, and time. Every atom. What are, what are the other science words? Particle. What else? Did you say barbecue? <laughs> Molecules. Atom. Molecule. What's the, what's the uh, electron? Proton. Neutron. Jimmy Neutron. I'm not going to lie. Before I was friends with Pastor Dave, I was like, what's this Jimmy Neutron looking worship leader trying to come into my youth ministry and tell me? I was so mad. Guys, he'd come to my summer camp and lead worship. And not only would he crush leading worship, he'd preach a whole sermon in worship. So we'd get up there and be like, well, that Dave guy said everything. So just go back to your dorms and have a great night, you guys. And then they'd go out there during the games, too, and win. I'm like, what are they? But maybe you're like me and you, you have this habit or someone sold you a lie that somehow God is threatened by you. And, 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 and some people, some, some, some parts of Christianity, we can almost tie ourselves into a pretzel and, 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 and we can just take our gifts and our goodness and our convictions and our calling and we just keep trying to smush it down. You see, people like Mordecai confused and offended me because that's what freedom does to slavery. And so some of the people that you think are Hamans and Sauls in your life are actually just people living in their freedom, their God-given confidence. And they're not trying to shine on you. They're just shining. And some of the people that you label as arrogant, that's just what confidence looks like. And so people like me and you, we're like, oh, man, how did, did, did you see how the way she walked into church? She was so happy. <laughs> did, you see how he, did you see how he worshiped? Don't you remember what he did last Wednesday? Don't you remember what he did last Friday? Well, I know Pastor Dave hasn't seen it, but I think Sydney saw it because I tried to show her because they don't have Snapchat, but I have Snapchat. So I showed them how this guy, he did this thing, and then look, he's worshiping. Now, does homeboy need to check what he's doing on Snapchat on a Friday night? 100%. But what do you want him to do with his sin when he comes to church on a Wednesday? And sometimes what we would never subscribe to somebody else, we subscribe to ourselves. Some, I, would never look at, I would never look at you and say, young lady, I think you should be ashamed of the gifting, the calling, and the identity that God's placed on your life because it's a threat to all humanity and everyone else's confidence and, and, and sanctity in the relationship with Jesus Christ. So please diminish yourself. Don't have an opinion. Don't stand in your calling because it might make Haman angry. I would never say that to you. I would say the opposite. But everything I just said to you, I say to myself every day. So here's Mordecai. And you know what? What's crazy is my identity was aligning more with the villain in the story than the hero. I'm getting mad at Mordecai like Haman is. You see Haman, Mordecai didn't do nothing but not kneel. And, and how come Haman is so focused on the one dude not kneeling instead of the king that gave him a ring? Ooh. Some of you are so focused on the one person that doesn't like you instead of the fact that the king of kings and the Lord of lords died for you. Let's take it deeper. 
Some of you won't let God have a break because you're mad at what happened with your parents. You're focused on the one thing that went wrong instead of the ring on your hand. And it might be because you don't even see the ring because you're so focused on them. So what was supposed to be a moment of honor and celebration for Haman quickly turned into jealousy, bitterness, and rage. And, and, and then he starts plotting. Y'all ever plot? Don't lie to me in church. Don't lie to me in church. There's different levels of plotting. Let me just talk about two for a second. Plot number one. You know, you're not planning to do something to them. It's more like you hope something happens. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to push her over, but I hope she falls. Like, y'all plotting, y'all plotting. It's not like you're going to get them in trouble, but you hope someone finds out. It's not like you don't want something bad to happen to their family, but you're okay if it does. And then level two is when you are like actively acting on a desire to sabotage somebody else. We have a word for that. It's called being a bully. The title of my message tonight, 25 minutes and 37 seconds in, is beat that bully. Y'all want to beat the bully? When I was in uh, 10th grade, I had, uh, I started lifting weights and buying Axe deodorant spray. <laughs> and uh, there was a level of, what's the right word? Something happened. <laughs> and uh, I went from being a quiet nerd who loved Lord of the Rings and played Call of Duty and played Halo and loved the game Mass Effect and knew everything about Star Wars and knew the fighting uh, lightsaber style of Obi-Wan Kenobi uh, to being somebody who had all of those things but wearing Axe body spray and lifting weights. <laughs> and I went from, I actually went from being bullied in middle school and elementary school to now I felt really big and I was going to be a bully in this, this one kid on my bus. Man, you ever have someone, you just don't like them? I just didn't like this kid. I didn't remember his name. And every time he'd come on, I, 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 would, I, would, I would get in his face. He's kind of like small. Yeah, because bullies always pick on the big targets, right? He's kind of effeminate. I make fun of him for it. I just get on him. I wasn't a Christian yet. And uh, I remember one day, I think I said something about his mom. And on the bus out front of Liberty High School, he stepped to me. Y'all know what that means? They know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. Because I saw a white pastor talk about me and my stagehand dab up with each other on the way to get, and I had to be like, bro, if you're going to culturally appropriate, at least get it right. My goodness, bro. It's dab, puh, dab, puh. He, he stepped to me. And I got scared. Because <laughs> that's the thing about bullies. It, it, it's not real courage. He stepped to me. And he said, say one more thing or I'm going to hit you in the face. That's how he did it. I was bigger than him. Like taller than him, stronger than him. Okay. And I was like, no, nah, dude, it's cool. Let's just sit down chill, bro. And I went, I went back over and um, I sat in my seat. He sat in his seat. But behind me, 
satin instigator. Y'all know what that means? That's you. <laughs> this man's calling himself out. I guess that's good. This church is what we should do. Praise God. They will, they will know. They will overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of your instigating testimony, young man. If you get jumped after this, it's not my fault, okay? <laughs> and, and he sits down. And I can't repeat the specific word he used in church. In fact, I might even get banned on most social media platforms for using this word. But he kneeled down behind my seat, so my head was popping up, and he goes, we'll just use the word idiot for now. Is that okay? Does that offend anyone too much? I don't care. So he's hiding behind the seat. Dude says, say one more thing. I didn't say one more thing. Instigator goes, idiot. Stands up, and he walks over, and he, he hits me with the, you know, you've seen the World Star videos? The World Star swings. It's like, it's like watching, like, Patrick from SpongeBob walk around, you know? It's like, and, and, and guys, I have told on myself enough for y'all to trust me. I'm not trying to act tough, but when I tell you it really didn't hurt that bad, I'm just being honest. I'm not trying to be tough. It, it did it. And in my head, because this is how a bully thinks, I go, I'm not going to hit him back. So he gets suspended, and I don't. So I just took it. <laughs> Administrators came on the bus. We hadn't left school yet. You know how they are, administrators. Yeah. Honor them, honor them, honor them. Honor. And I walked out the bus like, I walked into that, like, I walked into the principal's office like I just had become the principal, okay? I was like, I played you, even though I didn't. I was scared, but I played you. And then, and then, I told this boy, you're suspended for, for I forget, it's three or five days, something like that, for fighting. I'm <laughs> like, sitting across the room from him. He goes, and you, sir, you're suspended for three days for sexual harassment, played myself and 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 I'll never forget the life-shattering realization that I had become the very thing that I had hated and endured for so many years and the thing that you have to understand about a bully is that what they're projecting is not a sense of superiority they're projecting a sense of inferiority can I preach for a minute this explains entirely the tactics of Satan. Nah, y'all didn't hear me. <laughs> a bully is leading and living from a place of inferiority, smallness, insignificance, fear, scarcity, scaredness, etc. Whereas we think that a bully is coming from this place of confidence. But something that confident don't need to puff itself up that much. If something was really confident, it wouldn't need to actually make a show of it. It would just be. So I ask again, can I preach for a minute? This explains entirely the tactics of the enemy. The Bible says that the devil parades around roaring, who knows the next part, like a lion. Making so much noise so you think he's got a bite. Beating his chest so loud so you think you have to be scared. 
bullying you into submission, using God's own words against you to stuff you down and shut you up. My man's got King David the giant slayer all turned around in my head, causing me to submit to something I should be standing up to. That go over your heads or you got it? So who makes you feel small? What makes you feel small? You know, David and Jonathan, I mean, my name has a better meaning. It means God's gracious gift. That's pretty good. Beloved, eh, you know. God loves me. But I'm God's gracious gift to the world. But here's the thing. <laughs> David, David has a much better legacy in the word of God. David, despite making some mistakes, he goes out with a legacy of honor. To the point to where by the time we get to the New Testament, do you know one of the few names they call Jesus? Not son of Moses. Not son of Jacob. Son of David. Son of David. The legacy of King David has not been and will not be ever quenched or touched or diminished because of his faithfulness and his heart to worship God. Unfortunately, my namesake has a different story. You know, the, the Saul that we were talking about before was, was David's king and his enemy, but it was Jonathan's father. And if you've ever had an issue with your dad, you know it's complicated, as I have. And, and nothing like problems with your family will put you in a spot to where you start to submit to the very thing that's beating you down and beating you up. It's like a gravitational pull. It's like the good parts that God designed in the family unit, the enemy can actually twist and use and keep you attached to something that is so outside of God's design. There's many words for it, many functions of it. There's very real abuse, emotional, physical. There's a spiritual component of generational curses, which we, we can pray tonight and get those broken off in the name of Jesus from some people. In, in fact, my mom named me Jonathan. When my dad and his dad were named William Rush, William Rush, my mom named me Jonathan William because God told her someone's got to break the curse. And I believe in the name of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm doing that. I'm going to do that. I am doing that. And I don't, my wife's not here, so I think I can say this, and we can cut this out of the broadcast if we want to. I don't know. We'll see. I'll, I'll decide it. But I'll at least tell y'all. Do y'all want to know something? And God has put it on my heart. In fact, he's given it to me in a prophetic dream, one of the only times I've heard God's actual voice, um, that I'm going to have a son and I'm going to name him William. So where God used me to break the curse, my son's going to come stomp on the devil and reverse the curse. He's going to take it all the way back, all the way back. Because, you know, what William means, William means warrior. But the enemy can take something that God meant for good. In the same way God can take something that the enemy meant for evil and turn it for good, Satan can take something meant for good and turn it for evil. Jonathan, he never did what, did what Mordecai did. He never stood up for himself. He never beat the bully. In fact, he followed the bully to his grave. You know, there, there's a little bit of liberty that we put into the story, but David and Jonathan were best friends. They loved, they loved each other. And, and David hit a point where he knew that while he couldn't fight Saul or touch the Lord's anointed, that enough was enough, he had to stand up. And in David's case, standing up meant stepping out. He had to leave. 
and, 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 and the, the, the text doesn't give us too much, like all this, but, but we can imagine based off of what we do know about the relationship that there was conversations of David saying, Jonathan, come with me, man. Come with me. You're, you, your dad's throwing spears at more than just me. He just slaughtered all these priests. He's not listening to God. I think he's cut off, man. He's cursed. He's going to lead you down the wrong path. Come, come with me. And something in Jonathan that is also in this Jonathan said, I got to stay here. When you get to the very end of 1 Samuel, the book in the Bible, it ends with Saul dying alongside all of his sons because Saul was so disobedient to God that he found himself seeking the advice and powers of a witch. God wouldn't speak to him. He went into the battle. He lost. What's interesting is in, in this, in this uh, chapter, normally what happens is when a king dies in battle, his men take him off the field. The reason why Saul was found on the field is because everyone was dead. Some of you are loyal to a fault. Some of you are loyal to the very bullies that are tormenting you. Some of you will die loyal to the wrong things. And you have a decision to make on whether or not you're going to follow the dysfunction or stand up against the badness. And I had to internalize this scripture and pray and have some supporting verses I'll give you all in a second, but to realize that not every story has to end following Saul to the death. I want to tell you that some of the things that have told you you need it and you need them, you don't need them. You need Jesus. That some of the people that have made them seem so essential, that friend group, that sports team, that app, that community, that, 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 that verbiage, that thing that's telling you you need it to survive and to make it, it's going to drag you not only to your grave but down to hell with it. And you have a decision to stand at the king's gate and say, Haman, I see your crown, I see your ring, but it don't come from my God. A lot of biblical scholars take the fact that Haman jumped so quickly. You know how you can tell prejudice is by the questions people ask. How come the first question that Haman asks is, is Mordecai a Jew? A lot. And then how come he went from saying, it's not enough to kill just Mordecai, I got to kill all of them. Haman played his hand. And a lot of biblical scholars take the fact that he was so clearly familiar with the Jewish people that they think that prior to Haman being honored before we see him in scripture that it was known that he was a leader that was against God's people and against the Jews and so I'm sitting here reading that that that, that Mordecai is being insubordinate but you know what Mordecai is doing he goes bro I know you nothing will ever mess a bully's head up like exposing them no 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 but catch me on this Exposing them quietly. There comes a time in every person's life where you've got to stand up. And you've got to look the thing in the face and say, you're not going to run my life anymore. And some of you are thinking, John, I don't have that. I don't have that enemy. I don't have that person. And I'm thankful for you. But what about the people that live in here? How come you don't want to pray out loud? How come you won't lift your hands and worship? 
How come you stopped coming for three months and now you only come once every two months? How come you can quote scripture but you won't read it anymore? How come you keep dating the guys that hurt you last time? How come you keep dating the girls that are dating all the other guys? How come you keep going to the parties that you know are going to end a certain way? I'll never forget, bro. I'm not saying God caused this, but one of my homies back in Rockford, one of my students, Armando, I was like, bro, you coming to men's conference tonight? And he's like, nah, bro. And I'm like, okay. He got shot in the leg at a party. He's okay. But I'm like, dang, bro. The power of a decision. Nobody goes to a party thinking they're going to get shot. Nobody goes to a party thinking they're going to overdose. Nobody goes to a party thinking that they're going to lose their virginity. Nobody go logs onto an app uh, thinking that it's going to ruin their mental health forever. Nobody ever goes and wakes up in the morning and says, please, oh, please, I'd like a bully in my head. But we live in a generation that has so many bullies in their head, they think the only solution is to put a bullet in their head. And so who's, who's standing over you? trying to end your life. I have that voice. My voice sounds like, what's scary is that sometimes my voice sounds like God. Keyword sounds like. Because the enemy, like I said, has a known tactic of taking the very things of God. Words like truth in our culture, devil's trying to take that. Words like love, devil's trying to take that. Dating and mating, the devil's like, that's me. Competition, what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman, all these things that God designed. The, the, the idea of feeling good, the devil's like, that's, that's me. And the devil is, is, is so smart that, that, that the way that he bullies you is behind the scenes. Haman didn't, like, go up to Mordecai. Let's look at it again. Let's look again. Then the royal officials at the king's gate asked Mordecai. The devil's too smart to confront you face to face. He's going to come from behind. He's going to give you poison wrapped in a present. He might not even try to shoot you in the leg. He's just going to make you crippled in your insecurity. In fact, I don't think the devil wants you to die. I don't think he really cares if you do. I think he'd actually rather you live in slavery and submission. I, you know what? I actually don't even know that, that the devil always worries if you go to church. <gasps> because if you're not going to do with anything that you learn, the devil don't care. He'll keep sending you in to fill your head up with information you do nothing with and don't walk in any authority when you get to school or when you get home on a Wednesday night and you open up your phone. The devil will be like, I will keep letting you live and thrive in gateway in a secret half-life because you ain't doing nothing with it. He bullies you from behind. Not just because he's scared, but because he's smart. And so you might be asking yourself, you're like, John, what the heck, dude? I feel like I'm in a counseling session with you. You could not handle a counseling session with me. My therapist, Adam, he'd wreck your life and put it back together again. I love Adam. He's really, Adam is so cool. Uh, you'd like him. Uh, my biggest fear going to uh, uh, counselors, I'm like, Dude, I have told my life story to a million people. I don't, I don't have time to. He's like, I don't need to hear your story. He's like, I'm, I'm more like a physical therapist. He's like, your brain is a muscle, and I'm going to help you put it back together the way that God designed it. I'm like, okay, I can mess with that. Key word, he's, he's a Christian too. Got to do that. And so why does God allow bullies in our lives? There's this, uh, I was in the uh, Lapeer Starbucks today. 
preparing this message, and God brought to my mind this random movie with the, with the first uh, Spider-Man, um, Tobey Maguire, <laughs> the cool youth pastor, thanks to Disney. <laughs> See, guys, Disney, Disney can't keep us out of culture. They, okay. <laughs> I felt so seen in that. You remember that joke? I felt so seen. They, uh, I think it's Andrew Garfield. He looks at him and he's like, what are you? Are you dressed up as a, as a cool youth pastor? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and uh, this movie is called Seabiscuit. Let's show Seabiscuit on the screen. It's this little horse. Seabiscuit. <laughs> this is Seabiscuit. Not the person. That's the horse. And what you can't tell by the scale is that, uh, is that this is actually a really small horse. What you can tell by the way that the horse is decorated is, is that, it, that Seabiscuit won some stuff. Seabiscuit, if you, if you research Seabiscuit, I just feel like as many times as I can say the word Seabiscuit, I'll just keep your attention for the remaining 15 minutes of this message. Seabiscuit, 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 hey. Can that be a new We Are One song? No, that's more than an apostle song, Okay. And, and, and Seabiscuit has a crazy story, what was abused, what was because was, uh, uh, he didn't win, and finally some owners found him and realized his greatness and rehabilitated him, but he was small, and he was overlooked, and, and his jockey, which is his rider, um, helped him, and there's a trainer and everything, and, and then God reminded me this very specific fact about Seabiscuit, and I'm going to show you it in a second, is that they realized this thing about Seabiscuit, why he kept losing races. Is because Seabiscuit would start strong, like you after conference, like you on Thursday at 9 a.m. But by the time the race had been going for a while, Seabiscuit started to lose his drive, like you 12 o'clock on a Thursday, like you four weeks, 17 minutes, and four days after conference, like me the moment that my Saul walks into the room, or that I hear Haman whisper in my ear. He shuts down. And they realized in training, they were trying all this different stuff. This is a championship horse. Someone had spent like hundreds of thousands of dollars, which is equivalent to millions of dollars at the time, to, to get Seabiscuit, 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 hey, back up and running. And this one time, Seabiscuit was training, and this like random trash horse was out there. This horse that didn't even do nothing. And they noticed Seabiscuit started running. And they realized something very specific about Seabiscuit, that there was something that happened when Seabiscuit saw its opponent. There was something that happened when, when the horse saw who was running next to it and what it was running against. And, and this, this is what happened in a famous day.
Make some noise for Seabiscuit. This is one of the hardest parts about preaching. You're trying to correlate the revelation that God has used in the message to how it's being received with other people. I was balling in Starbucks today. The Lapeer, I was already dressed different than most of the people in the Lapeer Starbucks. So, and is them those Yeezys? Is that what is that? I'm just kidding, y'all. I'm just kidding. I'm balling. I've been asking God, why, why does it keep, why is it so hard so often? Why do I keep dealing with these voices in my head? How come you keep sending people that should be building me up, but they just tear me down? I'm just trying to take care of Esther. I tell God, I'm just trying to take care of my kids. I'm just trying to take care of your kids, God. This is what I've devoted my life to. I'm just trying to serve you, God. Why, did, why, why is there always a, a Goliath in my view, a Saul over here, a Haman over here? Why is there so many obstacles? In the moment that I feel like I, I resolve something internally, oh, look, here comes something externally. Oh, man, the moment that I get some toxic person out of my life, a toxic trait rises up in me. The moment I feel like I, I, I deal with one part of my insecurity, there's, there's something else that rises up. I get mad at God. Do you get mad at God? Show me how mad you can, can get at God, and I'll show you how much you trust in his character. You don't know God like you could if you get mad at him. You don't, you don't understand who Jesus Christ is until you've yelled at him. Because it, we think that our anger, our insecurity can do anything to diminish our risen Savior. He defeated death, hell, and the grave. What do you think he was thinking about when he was on that cross? What do you think he did it for? He did it for everything that you hate about yourself. He did it for every word that they were going to tell you. He did it for every mountain you were going to have to climb and every giant you were going to have to face. And the revelation the Holy Spirit gave me literally just today. I said, God, why do you, why do you let these things come in my, my life? Why is it so hard? I didn't expect God to say, because you're like Seabiscuit, John. The horse? Was Spider-Man? The very thing that was designed to destroy you, distract you, distress you, when you will get the proper perspective on it, will be the thing that drives you to greatness. Next time, and my prayer is going to be that as you get these enemies in your view, it will no longer cause you to shrink back. It will cause you to step out. That little horse has such an attitude that every time a Haman was riding up on his shoulder, that little, that little pony, 
has more courage than me and it doesn't even have a soul. Had something explode in their chest. I wonder if you'll let God change your perspective. Why do we have the bullies? I believe that God uses bullies around you to reveal the greatness within you. I believe that God allows people in your life to tell you how small you are so that you can reflect on how great he is. I believe that God allows people to speak words of death over you so that you can be refreshed in the words of life. I believe that that God allows you to not like the way you look right now so that you can fall in love with not the design, but at least the designer. And let me tell you, when you understand who designed you, you will understand the value of what he designed. Too many people try to tell back to God how good it is or bad it is what he designed. And you're arguing with God about what he made, but really what you got to do is get closer to the maker. Because what you see as a flaw, he did as his finishing touch. What you see as a flaw is the unique aspect of you that no one else understands because God's going to use it to bring his kingdom forth on the earth. The very thing that was a disadvantage, God will turn into an advantage. Mordecai stands at the gate, makes Haman mad. Haman starts to plot against all the Jews. He starts plotting and bullying behind the scenes, of course, setting up Haman's design. He even designs a pole in which he's going to kill Mordecai on. Mordecai doesn't fight. He doesn't block him on Instagram. Just keeps going to the king's gate. And every time everyone else is kneeling, Mordecai stays standing. You are a generation of people who will stand for God when everyone bows to culture. You are a generation of people that in the face of your darkest fears and your greatest anxieties, you will not kneel to it. You will stay standing. Not because you can do it on your own, but because you have a renewed revelation of just who it is who has your back, just who it is that lives on the inside of you, just who it is who hung on a cross and died and rose again, who went down into the pit of hell, took keys and said, I'm taking every bit of power I ever gave the devil. It's over. That horse in that race, that was a horse called War Admiral. It was like the biggest, baddest horse of the biggest, baddest millionaire. And, and here comes this little sea biscuit. And that little, that, that, that big War Admiral horse, that's his name, he thought he had him. Do you know that the enemy is so deceived, he still thinks he has a chance? And his delusion comes in the form of confidence. And his confidence starts to form culture. And then you start to become so weird, so different, so odd by standing up for the way that God has called you to live. And you start to think you're the weird one. You start to think we're losing. You start to think that you have no chance, no backing, no weapons, no power. You let a delusional foe talk you into defeat. But here's what Ephesians chapter 6 says. Here's how we fight the bully. It says this, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Oh, God. Go ahead and that out. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. 
For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. Some of you think you're fighting people, and some of you think the way to fight the bully is to beat the bully down. What if I told you that God has a better plan? What if I told you that God has something better than revenge? It's called redemption. What if a group of people walked into their school? What if they interacted online to the very people who are trying to shut them down? And what if we figured out how to stand for ourselves, stand for our God, but built a bridge so that people could come experience? What if we realized that the very people we call our enemies are really the ones held hostage by the enemy? What if we could actually move forward with kindness and compassion and courage and conviction? What if we realized that we don't even have to swing a blow because the enemy will always play itself? What you see coming from that person, that is not who God made them to be. And I know it'll take a while before you stop hating them. And I know it would be easier to give them a bloody nose. And every now and then there is a time for that. But too often we fight with the way the world fights. The Apostle Paul is letting us know we don't do that. Some of us have even won against our earthly enemies and felt more empty than ever before. You've took the spot on the team. You've taken the girl. You've got the money. You've got the followers. You got the last word. You left the house. You did that thing. You showed them. You ran them out of church. You got them. And you thought that you felt low when you were trying to fight them, but you've never felt more low than when you had beat them. And then you looked in the mirror and realized you became the bully you were trying to beat. But we have been equipped by our God to fight differently. It says, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground like Mordecai. And after you have done all those things, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. You have been equipped to beat this bully the way that God designed you to beat. And nothing will make you feel as at peace as seeing who was once your enemy Come into the saving grace of Jesus. Unfortunately for Haman, like some of the people you'll face, he, he didn't make that choice. And he was plotting and he was playing and he was, a, he was about to get Mordecai. But he forgot about Esther. Oh, come on, ladies. The secret assassin in the background doing her thing. I'm telling you, your enemies, they don't even know about all the resources you have at hand. You need to know about them. That while you're fighting a battle on this front, God's working over here and he's over here and he's over here because Haman went to the king. And he starts talking about killing Mordecai. And who's Esther? Who's Esther? The queen. So what do you think the queen did when she hears her uncle being talked about in front of the king. It's a great story. You should study it. But long story short, Haman overplays his hand like the devil will always do. 
king learns about the plot and he orders the execution of Haman on the very pole that he built for Mordecai. God wants you to know you don't have to fight the battle. He's already won it. He just needs you to stand. He needs you to know what you're worth. He needs you to know your value. He needs you to operate in the power of the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. That despite the pressure, despite the pain, you're not going to turn into what they want you to be. And just like Saul died on his own sword, surrounded by his son, Haman got hung in the trap he created for Mordecai. And all Mordecai had to do is not kneel. You have no idea the obliterating power of your obedience. Too many Christians are reaching for weapons when we've already got a fully armored up, accessible, spiritual foundation, weapons of warfare to demolish strongholds and every insecurity. In, in, in Corinthians, I'll close with this. It says, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sin in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and was raised on the third day. But what it says before that is even better. It says, now I'd remind you, brothers, that the gospel, what I just talked about, what I just preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Some of you need to know it's less about standing up for what's right and just standing up for who is right. It's standing in the completed work of the gospel. We live in a world that wants to bring about social justice. We bring about the justice that Jesus has already promised, is on the way, and that he's already guaranteed on the cross. We stand in the gospel. Equipped with the armor of God. When we see our enemy in our eye, it's go time. It's time to turn the jets on. I'm walking out of this process of preaching this and receiving this. And I'm just trying to apply it. And, and some of the things I wanted to, I wanted to tell you guys, I, I, I think the biggest thing it's just not allowing yourself to fold on the inside or explode on the outside. And part of how you do that is you've got to have people that you express your needs to. If someone's bullying you physically, if the devil's bullying you spiritually, you've got to tell somebody. You've got to tell somebody. You've got to express your needs. Some of you think that you're doing God a favor by not telling him what you need. And yes, your father knows what you need before you even ask. But there is a powerful process of saying it out loud and saying it to somebody else. The other thing that I'm trying to walk in to, to stand and beat the bully is I've got to filter my feelings. My feelings feel far more real than they are. And I give power to sin and my insecurities when I claim every emotion 
as the GPS coordinates for my everyday life. You've got to filter your feelings through the word of God and the character of Jesus. You've got to take your anger, your insecurity, and say, does that sound like God? And then you've got to live from a place of conviction that you know what you've been called to. That you know, Mordecai wasn't prideful, he was convicted. Mordecai wasn't trying to be rebellious. He just knew what to stand up for. So will you stand? Is there anyone in here tonight that needs to stand right now just to let the the devil know he can't keep you in your seat? Is there anybody who's got some Hamans hanging over their shoulder trying to shut you down and shut you up? And I hope for some of you that moment was more than just the peer pressure of everyone standing. I hope you felt a weight come off because Jesus is calling you right now. And he's calling some of you to come home. Some of you can't stand up for yourself because you're not standing in the gospel. You don't know about the gospel that you've received. And I just wonder if, if, if in this place there'd be anyone who would be so bold as to, as to let me know that they want to pray to receive Jesus into their life for the very first time. If you want to stand for the gospel, if, if you want to do it, sometimes we have people close their eyes, but today I think it's important that you let your insecurity know you're in control. That if we're going to expect you to make spiritual decisions out there, you better make it here. If that's you, just raise your hand. It could be just one person. We want to pray with you. We want to, we want to give you the opportunity to invite Jesus into your life. What we're going to do right now is we're going to repeat this prayer after me. And if you're praying this prayer for the first time, this is just me helping you start a relationship with Jesus. You don't need my help praying from this point on. You can talk to God on your own self. Us pastors, we can teach you how to do it, but you don't need us to do it for you. But this one's important. So repeat after me. You can close your eyes if you're comfortable, whatever you want to do. We're all going to pray it to support the people that are praying this right now. Say, dear Jesus, I ask you right now, come into my life. Be the Lord and Savior of my life. Thank you for dying on a cross for my sins. I want to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, we celebrate you.